Welcome to the Innovating Purpose Podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. I wanted to pause and consider the songs here today. Specifically the last song, and I almost uh, almost told Kenny we should just do it now. It, it, I have in my notes that it would be really neat to do this song again. Um, I'm not going to ask him now, but I do think afterwards we do need to take time. But I really appreciated the words of that we are called to ask the question, Lord, what do you want of me? And if it's a fragrance that we would pour our lives out like oil, if if it's a song that we would, we would sing every song. I love the way that it captures that, not just one song, but that we would just keep singing worship to the Lord. These are beautiful, beautiful reminders. I want to pray in that posture here today, so let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We need more of you. We want to understand your heart, Lord. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of our sin, change us, mold us to look more like Christ, to sound more like Christ, and to think more like Christ. May you deeply, deeply, deeply move in our hearts and our minds today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This week, and I'll give a a quick prompt that I want, if you have, if you can't see from your perspective, this picture was really chosen uh, based on this chapter, this posture of prayer, a deeper sense of prayer. Jesus praying to the Father, that's hard for me to understand. Praying to himself, but he had a deep relationship with his Father. They were united, they were one together. that he would take time to pray for us as well. He wasn't just praying for the disciples that were around. He wasn't just praying for the next few years for the Christian movement to begin. He was praying for you and I. And as we open chapter 17, may we process accordingly the magnitude of what Jesus was praying. This should radically change your view of Jesus. He didn't just do a lot of good things. He didn't just do miracles. He didn't just die on the cross and rise from the dead. Yes, he did those things, but it was all for you and for me so that we could be restored in relationship. 
So when he is praying, he's beginning to process that his time in the physical realm with us walking and talking and breathing and moving with us was coming to a close. This is a powerful thing. And my hope is that we will have a deeper prayer life as we move forward. But before we go there, I have a silly illustration because prayer has a lot of uh, connotations in society. Some people are terrified to publicly speak a prayer. Some people uh, would prefer to be in in the closet praying by themselves, and I totally get that. But I wanted to describe to you It may not sound like the appropriate time to share this because I'm about to go through more memorial services, but I wanted to share this because I have to laugh. You just have to laugh sometimes because things happen that you go, okay, that doesn't even make sense, but okay, Lord, what are you teaching me? It was the first funeral service that I ever had to serve at, and there's a lot of nerves. I don't know if you know this, but I, I get very nervous at some things. And when it's the first, it's just like the first weddings that I've done and the, the first funeral for sure. So I'm meeting with the family and I want to know what the family wants in the service and I find all these things out. And they said, Keith, we would love it if you would pray during the service. I said, I would love to pray. I love to pray. That would be beautiful. And that was the only role they gave me, I thought. I got it. This is, this is going to be great. Well, the gentleman that I was serving alongside, uh, another pastor who was going to do the message and whatnot, he decided um, a couple of things. It was really, I felt kind of bad for him because he, he kind of forgot what he was supposed to do, and he didn't really tell me when to go up. So, you know, there's a lot of awkwardness because you've got a family that's grieving, there's difficulty. But he, at the beginning of the service, he called me up and he said, Keith, could you pray? And I said, okay, it's my time to pray. I'm going to go up and pray. So I prayed. And then, and then he did, um, he read the obituary. He shared the life of this gentleman. He said, Keith, could you, could you come up and pray? So I, okay, I can, I can come up and pray. And then he did the message and he stopped midway and he said, Keith, could you come up and pray? And I said, wow, this... Either I'm not saying something right or my words are powerful today, so pray again. And then he finished his message, and then he said, you know, Keith, I was like, oh, no, please don't ask me to pray. People are going to think I'm insane. And he asked me to come up and pray again, and I thought, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me? I'm missing something. Well, then it was time for the, to, to go to the graveside. And he had another shorter message, and he got done, and he prayed, and I thought, I'm off the hook. He said, amen, and he said, Keith. I was like, no, don't you do it. (laughs) And he said, Keith, could you come up and pray? And the whole family went, you just prayed. And he said, but I want Keith to pray. (laughs) Oh, boy. Isn't it silly sometimes what we do, and we think it's the appropriate thing to do? And I I wonder what you think about prayer. I, I bet you have some um, internal thoughts that come up, that resonate with you as you think about praying. You know, Scripture, when I ask the question of when is it appro- appropriate to pray, well, and then I ask the second question, how often should I pray? I, I consider 1 Thessalonians 5. 
and it says, always be joyful, and I'm really summarizing. Pray without ceasing or never stop praying and be thankful. Those three verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. But I can complicate it. You know, I can rush and even create a schedule in my prayer life. I can, if I'm not careful, I can, I can almost make my prayer life full of rules and expectations and even kind of limiting God. I think our words are powerful. Would you consider when you're talking with the Lord, yes, I want it to be pure and holy and wonderful, but our words do matter. For many, many years, and I'll even still catch myself doing this just as a habitual thing, I will pray, Lord, would you just do this? Would you just do that? And I've had to pause in my own spirit and say, Lord, don't let me pray in my limited perspective. Don't don't let me put a lid on your grace and your mercy and and what you can do. Because if we're not careful, we we end up clouding our prayers and making them a, a wish list or making them something that we're not even sure we want. So when you talk with the Lord, do you come to him and say, Lord, would you guide my prayers? Is there a name that I'm supposed to pray right now? Is there someone that you need to bring to my mind? And if I'm not careful, I begin to assume that that I have any sway over God. God can be moved and God can do things that I can't even fathom. So is my posture right? Is my mentality correct? Am I more interested in God's things? Or am I more interested in my own happiness, my own joys? Scripture goes on to say in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we should cast all of our anxiety on on him because he cares for you. So I want to define it. How should we be known in our prayer life? How should we come before the Lord? You know, this week on Monday, I went with a few of the staff members and we, we went to a thing called the Refresh Retreat to listen to the Lord. Because sometimes you need to get away from it all. Sometimes you just need to pause in your spirit and say, Lord, there's a lot of busyness. Help me to center in on you. And if we're not careful, we'll start to think that we have to do something special to sit with God. One thing I love about the Lord is he doesn't care about your title He doesn't care about your posture. He doesn't care about the the amount of prayer that you do. He cares about your heart. He cares that you are worshiping him. Lisa Turkhurst said, 
The reality is my prayers don't change God, but I'm convinced prayer changes me. Praying boldly boots me out of that stale place of religious habit into authentic connection with God himself. Corey Ten Boom says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is more possible is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Abraham Lincoln, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. It's quotes like these that draw me closer to the Lord, and it... It helps me be captivated by my Lord and Savior because he is worthy of my prayers. He is worthy of my worship. Our prayers are worship. The words that we say, do you mean them? The desperate heart cry, do you mean it to the Lord? So whether you're on the live stream right now, wherever you're sitting, whatever you're thinking, perhaps you just need to to comment or you need to write something down if you have brought a piece of paper or if you're at home, just grab a napkin, grab something in sight and write down these verses. Write down, I need prayer. Be willing, be bold to share that you need prayer to draw closer to the Lord. Be willing to admit that. You have to start somewhere. Now, John 17 is a powerful passage, and I believe that it really should help us center in. It says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave to me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. And I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. So right now, whether it's a piece of paper or something close by, or maybe you just need to write these things on your heart, I want us to remember in verses 1 through 4 that Jesus is doing something that is powerful. He is asking that he would be glorified. We don't see Jesus pray for himself very often. Do we take notice of this? But he turned it around. It wasn't just a selfish glorify me, Father. It was so that I may in turn glorify you. So write that down, glorified. He was asking that he would be glorified so that the Father would be glorified. He was selfishly asking that people would be drawn into him so they could know the Father. That is beautiful, my friends. And in verses 5 through 8, write this down. He asked to be restored. Can you fathom what he just prayed? 
The, the God of this universe, and as you write this down, reflect on the fact that he, his pre-existent exaltation, he was asking to be returned into glory, to back to where he had been forever ago and forevermore forward. Return, restore me into the glory of Godhood. Whoa. He hasn't even died yet. He hasn't even been put on the cross yet. But he's praying in such a way that he's saying, bring me back, Lord. And I'm bringing my children with me. I'm creating a way. This is beautiful. And may we never forget. You see, in verses 5 through 8, something else takes place. And maybe you miss it. Maybe you see it. But he is acting as our great high priest. Jesus is now taking on the role of the Old Testament. He is the great high priest. But you see, the high priests of old, they had to go in with blood sacrificed from a bull, and they had to go in to to get rid of their own sins before God. They had to do these other culturally things to be pure before God because even the high priests were sinners, but not Jesus. He is the great high priest for all time. He canceled the need for us to continually, perpetually go back in to the throne room and ask for grace and mercy. He went for us one time for all. So when he is asking to be glorified, he's saying, let me have the authority and the power and the glory to come back on me so that I can be the restored King of kings and Lord of lords who rules forevermore. And if you missed it, here's the main point. And maybe uh, as you think about this online here this morning, you need to write down what is the main point. The way to eternal life. Jesus points us to eternal life. So maybe if you're missing it, yeah, Jesus is powerful and wonderful and he's God. But do you recognize that he's created a way for you to have eternal life in glory? He's created a way for you to be forgiven, cleansed. If he is truly the great high priest, his offering is enough, and it cleanses you from all of your sins. And if that's not enough, all it takes from you and I is to believe that Jesus loves you, to believe that God is enough for you, to believe that he, his sacrifice, cleanses you from all sin. That's what he asks He asks for your everything, just that. But it is the the best gift we can give to the Lord. God isn't egocentric, He isn't self centered, except for in this moment. He wants your worship. I often think, well, doesn't that sound like God's egotistical? Is He some sort of a maniac that wants our worship? He is the way, the truth, the life. So if he is the one, then he demands that we worship him. There is no other way to get to the Father. There is no other way than to be sinless and blameless, and that's only available through Christ. So there is only one way. I probably should have just one finger up, not two. There is only one way to Christ, and it's through Jesus. It's through belief in him. And he gives us this eternal life. 
You see, we were made for real life. The Bible speaks of this heavy topic, and maybe you've struggled with it. Maybe you wonder what is to come in the afterlife. Perhaps it's happened when you've walked in a cemetery and you've seen death firsthand. You, we don't have to live as, and be worried that death is shrouded in mystery. Jesus is revealing here that death isn't shrouded in mystery. We have life, eternal life available to us. And Jesus is worthy of our worship. And I want to breeze through these, and if you have a moment to try and write them down, please do and look them up on your own. But in John 3, it says that he would be lifted up. It's like the bronze snake of the Old Testament. It says that, but in our New Testament, in our perspective, Jesus was foretelling that he would be risen up on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he was the perfect high priest, the spotless lamb, the one to take our sins away. And really, our belief does matter. In John 3, 36, we must believe. This is the only way we can have eternal life. I mean, if we... If we reject the Son, is what John 3 is speaking of. If we reject Jesus, we will not see life because the wrath of God remains on us. Our sin remains on us. So if we do not get right with God, eternal life, yes, will exist, but it will not be in glory. It will not be with Jesus. It will not be in heaven. It will be in hell. So we must put into perspective that we must accept the Son. John 5 goes on. We are, we are asked to hear and believe that the one who sent Jesus is real. That the Father has given us eternal life. And in John 6, it goes on to speak of God wanting everyone to have life. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are united in that they want you to be in relationship. They want you to have eternal life. John 11, the resurrection of the life and the life that is available. We're told that if we love this life, we will lose it. If we hate this life, we will keep it for eternity. So this life is never going to satisfy. Only relationship with Jesus will satisfy. And I want to jump ahead to this last little illustration. There was a gentleman that gave this illustration that really made sense to me, and it, it involves $10,000. Can you imagine if you were walking down the street, it, pre-COVID, I guess, and you, you encountered someone who was a random stranger, and they handed you a briefcase. This would be a really pathetic briefcase if it just had one stack. <laughs> but I was really unimpressed how much $10,000 was in one stack. It just doesn't seem that impressive. But this person walked up to you, and they said, uh, here's, here's $10,000, and you don't know them. And they said, Here's my PIN number, here's my account number. I'm really in a terrible rush. Could you please just deposit this for me? If you encountered this person, you'd think they were what? Nuts. You'd say, I don't know you, who, who are you? Well, let's, let's rewrite the script. Now imagine that you 
still don't know this person. And they walk up to you and they hand you $10,000 and they say, here's my bank account, here's my PIN number, here's all the information that you need. And they say, well, I, don't, I don't know who you are. Who are you? Oh, oh, you, you don't know me. But I know you. I've watched you this last year. I've seen you be faithful in your work. I've seen you love your neighbor. I've seen you do these wonderful things. The truth is, I see that you are an honorable person, and I give this to you. What would you feel in that moment? It's not a random person now. It's a massive honor. It is someone speaking truth that they know you. And this connection, do you know the Father? Do you have a relationship with God that is like this, where they, he knows you? He sees you. He hears your prayers. He knows your heart. Because my, my hope is that today you will seek God with a genuine, true worship. That you will be known by the Father. That was Jesus' prayer. That we would be known by the Father. That we would cry out to the Lord and he would be our true one that we worship. And I want you to know this, and maybe you need to write it down. I am made for worship, or you are made for worship. That truly is the heartbeat of God. You are made to worship him. Your life, your song, your actions, your words, your decisions, they should all worship God. If we could just do that chorus one time, Kenny, I'm going to pray and then I'd like to move us into that same posture again. But let's pray in this time. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you. We thank you that you made us for worship. You you made us in such a way. Help us to know you as Lord and Savior. Help us to fall on our knees, to, to not worry about the way we look, but that we would fall on our knees and say, God, have all of me. I may not have the right words right now. I may not have uh, the right posture, but you know my heart, Lord, that we would cry out to you. We would worship you in purity. We would say thank you, God, for your love. As the song says, we were made to worship. And I was made to worship. And so I will. So let's worship God together. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.